interested in taking a deep dive each week into a compliance or compliance-related topic? Then Compliance Into the Weeds is the podcast for you. Join Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, and Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, as they go into the weeds to flesh out a story which you can use to better inform your compliance program. Both you and your compliance program will be the better for listening to this podcast. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. In this episode, Matt Kelly and I take a deep dive into SPACs, Special Purpose Acquisition Corporations, which have now become ubiquitous in the mergers and acquisition world. What are the implications of SPACs from the internal controls angle and SOX 404? What are the uh, considerations around corporate governance of entities that a SPAC would purchase? Are the owners of the SPAC disincentivized to protect shareholders because of the return of initial capital investments by SPAC? Matt Kelly and I explore these and other questions on this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, back again with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. Today, we're going to take up SPACs or Special Purpose Acquisition Corporations. Matt, you have uh, written about this. Clearly, you've been thinking about this. What Mm -hmm. are some of the, um, perhaps you could start off defining what a SPAC is and then maybe uh, give us an overview of your concerns. Yeah, sure. So uh, from the strict legal perspective, a SPAC is a holding company, also known as a blank check company, where uh, a group that forms the SPAC will try to raise money uh, from investors, sometimes with the help of celebrity advisors. We will get back to those celebrity advisors in a few minutes, I promise. But you raise money in a SPAC, then you go public as a blank check company, a holding company. Uh, and then basically, this is a holding company that is publicly traded with a big pile of money. You go out, you acquire other businesses, typically uh, private businesses that have not gone public. You've got about two years to do it. Uh, or else you have to return the money back to your investors. Most SPACs also are organized around a theme. So you might invest in only medical device companies or only uh, companies that are green energy or only companies managed and run by women or something like that. Um, And then uh, you go forth, you acquire these businesses, you take them public very rapidly because essentially You acquire an operating business, but you already are publicly traded. So then the next quarter comes around and boom, you have these operating results that you're also reporting. It's a kind of a topsy-turvy way for businesses to go public. And uh, lately, this has caused an awful lot of concern at the Securities and Exchange Commission, which is what we can talk about here. But uh, SPACs are proliferating like weeds. There are at this moment several hundred SPACs. I looked it up earlier today, Tom, and there are 552 active SPACs in the U.S. capital markets right now. Uh, they have about $180 billion to play with. There are several hundred more that are floating around that haven't gone public yet that look like they're going to be raising about $60 billion more in capital. 
And uh, these businesses are going to be floating around. They're going to be scooping up private operating companies and taking them public very quickly. And there are a host of governance and internal control and compliance issues that I suspect a lot of these SPACs and their targets have not yet considered. And very clearly, the SEC fears the same. And so here we are. So Matt, you wrote about the internal control perspective from, it seemed to be for uh, entities that were acquired by SPACs, typically uh, non-public companies coming into the SPACs. Mm -hmm. And I also wondered, uh, I've been thinking about it in terms of when the SPACs uh, might actually take their acquisitions public at that point. Uh, But could you tell us a little bit about the concerns you have around internal controls and SPACs? Well, the the problem is um, once you are required by a public company, that private operating business, um, it's a public company. And so you have to disclose all the same stuff that all the other public companies have to disclose. So you need strong internal control over financial reporting. Management needs to uh, publish some sort of assertion or opinion about the effectiveness of its internal controls. Um, You have to have all of the disclosure controls and procedures that uh, all other public companies have to disclose. Basically, here we have these private businesses. Potentially, they have been private for many years. A SPAC shows up and the SPAC is under the gun because they have to do deals quickly. So they show up. They've got a boatload of cash. They say, look, we want to buy you out right now. So here's a pile of cash and we need you to assure to us that your ICFR is up to snuff before we, the SPAC, go and make those same uh, promises to investors. So there's a lot of concern there that some private businesses might say, uh, yeah, yeah, sure. Our ICFR is just great. So when are you going to send the wire? You know, it's it's going to be that kind of a thing that goes on. I think the SEC is very worried about it. Um, it's also very possible that a lot of SPACs don't know what they're doing. Um, a lot of private companies wouldn't necessarily know what they're doing because why would they know about being public? They're not public companies, nor are they going the traditional IPO route, which can take a year or two at least and can involve a lot of preparing your internal financial systems to go public. All of that can go out the window if a SPAC is showing up and pummeling you with cash, if you'll just close a deal quickly. So the SEC had a lot of concerns about that and published two different statements last week um, reminding all of the people involved in SPACs, uh, whether you're the target, whether you're the SPAC, whether you're one of the advisors to either side of this, what these duties would be. Um, And this is only the Third, I think, a third warning about SPACs the SEC has published in the last four months. So clearly, the SEC is uneasy with the way these things are just proliferating like weeds, and uh, I I think with good reason. Let me pick up on one of the points you raised, Matt, which is the time frame that SPACs have to uh, spend their money and how that might uh, lead to cutting corners around getting some of these acquired companies IPO'd and out into the public market. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, so that actually is a good point for the first of the uh, advisories and alerts and uh, like dear CFO guidance that the SEC published about SPACs. It was, I think, back in December where um, you've got about two years, if you're the SPAC, to spend the money that you have raised from your investors. And if you don't spend it, it goes back to the investors. 
Um, also, if you are an executive at the SPAC who is doing the deals, it would not be uncommon for you, the personal executive, to maybe get bonus compensation for closing these deals um, and closing them quickly. And if you don't close the deals and the money goes back to the investors, you don't get a bonus or you don't get paid. So you do have potentially a conflict of interest if you're the executive where it is in your interest to get a deal closed. And so if you are not closing it quickly enough, you might offer more money to the target. So they will get over themselves and uh, be acquired. Um, so the SEC's first SPAC guidance back in December talked an awful lot about these potential conflicts of interest and what are the SPACs disclosing to their investors? Um, what are their bonus schemes, their incentive compensation? What about potential conflicts if you're a SPAC and you are looking, you're, you're the manager at the SPAC and you're looking to acquire a business where you have a minority interest in that target? Do you disclose that? How do you figure out what your compensation is? And we could go on all day about the potential conflicts, but the SEC had wanted to clarify that um, there are a lot of potential conflicts here. There are more SPACs right now than ever before. They are forming more quickly than ever before. And Tom, I'll give you another good statistic I pulled up this afternoon. We had 130 SPACs go public in the first three months of 2021, raising about $90 billion. So that is equal to the number of SPACs that went public in the first nine months of 2020. I don't know if they raised more than 90 billion or not, but SPAC growth is accelerating. Um, and so I think that the SEC is very concerned about what happens about 18 months from now when some of these guys start hitting their two-year clock and what conflicts of interest might be amplified by that time pressure. Um, and then what good governance procedures, uh, assurances go out the window because the SPAC manager wants to close a deal, get a bonus, doesn't want to give the money back to the investors. And the private company, again, as I said before, they're just like, um, yeah, sure. Sounds great. What can go wrong? Give us the money. There's going to be a lot of that in about 12 to 18 months. And um, it could cause a lot of instability. There's a couple of other concerns you mentioned in your blog post, uh, in addition to those you just two art articulated, internal controls and governance. Number one is uh, celebrity investors or celebrity advisors who seem to be ubiquitous uh, right now. Yep. Uh, the sec second area really was in the, um, pull that up, the, uh, the most prominent uh, private company brought into a SPAC is WeWork. And uh, the prominence of that is because they once uh, tried and failed to go public. And the question, of course, now is have they cleaned up enough to, to be able to go public? And what assurances does the investing public have that WeWork now has an appropriate set of uh, financial controls and other controls, uh, corporate governance controls to go public? And then uh, um, one other point that I'm going to remember after you tell me the answer to those two. Sure. Well, so yeah, the celebrity advisors, that was the second of the three SEC alerts that came out in earlier this year, where the SEC reminded people that just because an advisor such as Colin Kaepernick, Serena Williams, uh, that singer Sierra, I have to admit, I don't know who Sierra is, but she is an advisor to a SPAC. Um, Shaquille O'Neal is an advisor to a SPAC. Uh, they are celebrities. And what are they doing to advise the SPAC? Really? 
I don't know. You tell me, like for real. Uh, so WeWork is a great example that uh, WeWork is a mess of a company. And it had all sorts of funny stuff going on with its founder, Adam Newman, who tried to go public in 2019. Uh, it failed. And then comes the pandemic. So an office sharing startup in a global pandemic when no one's going to the office, that comes under strain. Um, WeWork lost zillions of dollars in 2020. I think it was $3.2 billion. Um, Adam Newman has uh, been extricated from uh, daily governance of WeWork. And meanwhile, its parent company, SoftBank, is now trying to get a SPAC to acquire the business. Shaquille O'Neal is involved in that SPAC. I don't remember the name of the SPAC, although I do know the investor behind it is a part owner of the Sacramento Kings. And like, what are we doing here, folks? This is a company with serious accounting and conflict of interest questions around it that I think are still not resolved and plenty of people would agree with me. And here we are trying to see if it can basically leapfrog the traditional IPO market and floating around in the sort of periphery here is Shaquille O'Neal. And what on earth is he going to be able to advise we work about? And you know, is he going to help provide assurances over ICFR? Uh, are other SPAC celebrity advisors going to help out with I don't know, uh, understanding the nuances of internal accounting controls for FCPA compliance once you're a publicly traded firm. I don't think people like Serena Williams, who I have huge respect for as an athlete, I don't think this is her area of expertise. So what are they doing here? Or are they just basically, you know, there for cosmetic purposes to help drum up more money? Um, so there's a lot of that that is going on. And, you know, ultimately it just... It raises some questions for me that so long, how Tom, how many times over the years have you and I talked about how Congress and particularly Republicans are worried about the decline of IPOs in U.S. capital markets, which, by the way, is not caused by Sarbanes-Oxley compliance. It's not caused by regulation or anything else. It's caused by much larger macroeconomic trends. But anyway, so is this really going to be a solution to our IPO dwindling market uh, problem um, that we're going to wind up with a bunch of holding companies all chasing after a limited number of promising private companies? They're all going to wind up paying top dollar. They're all going to be in a rush job to get the deal closed. And really, we're going to have serious substantive discussions about good governance, um, board level oversight, ICFR, and investor protection. That That's all going to happen while these SPACs are running around like uh, rabid dogs trying to chase down the last promising rabbit they can get a bite out of. I, I'm hard-pressed to believe this is all going to end well. Matt, SPAC's been around for, I think, around 20 years. Any idea why they became so popular or even ubiquitous really during the pandemic and now this explosion in 2021? Well, there's a lot of cap uh, free money. I, I shouldn't say free money. There's a there's an, an abundance of investment capital looking for some productive purpose. I'll put it that way. So it can be very easy for people with a lot of capital on their hands just to say, let's form a holding company and then we'll figure out what to do later on. Um, that is much better than the time consuming process of investing in a startup taking it public, that could be a period of five or six or 10 years or more. Um, there's a lot of work that has to be done. There's a lot of 
grunt work and board oversight of a startup that venture capitalists do or private equity firms do before they get to the point where they might gussy up the uh, IT and financial systems and then get ready for an IPO. Um, and, you know, there's just it, it's probably that more than anything else is the easy access to capital these days in our loosey goosey approach to monetary policy and banking policy. It's got to be spent somehow. So, sure, let's do a SPAC. I mean, you know, one example I'll find and I'm picking them just because of the name. Uh, it is called the Queen's Gambit SPAC, which formed late last year after Queen's Gambit became all the rage on Netflix, which is a great show and you should watch it. But uh, the Queen's Gambit SPAC is uh, pre primarily investing in ESG themed companies that uh, support women executives. And I'm all for ESG companies. I am all for women playing a greater role in the business world. I don't necessarily know that a SPAC like that is going to be the best way to help investors find new growth opportunities. I just, I'm not sure. And I mean, that's just one example I picked at random. You could pick many, many more if we wanted. Now, one of the concerns I've had about SPACs is their level of due diligence they may do on the companies they're acquiring, yeah. particularly with these time constraints, but actually more because of this plethora of uh investment dollars looking for a home to settle in. And I see potentially uh, obtaining uh, private, privately held companies, um, which had not uh, gone through the rigor of not only a sort of a SOX 404 ICFR type analysis, but really uh, much in the way of underlying due diligence and that the SPAC and more importantly, the SPAC investors could subject themselves to potential liabilities whether it be antitrust, whether it be anti-corruption, whether it be money laundering, or any of the other plethora of topics that we talk about from time to time on this show. Any uh, real thoughts on that issue? I do have some thoughts about the due diligence. And uh, so I'll, I'll start there first off. I think all of your questions about who are these private companies and are do they have any corruption concerns? I think that's very valid. Uh, if I were an acquiring business, I would also be very concerned about cybersecurity and privacy, which are very complex issues under the best of circumstances. But a lot of high growth private businesses that might eventually have gone public in an alternative world and might have paid more attention to due diligence over time, if you're gonna short circuit that by throwing a pile of money at that business, um, they'll say yes, but they might not have had the maturity of their cybersecurity systems or their privacy, and you're going to inherit all of those issues if you're the SPAC. Um, I would be curious also, and this was a point that the SEC had brought up, if you go public, you're publicly traded on an exchange and they have listing standards. So you need to think about do you have a majority of your board directors are independent? Do you have an audit committee with a qualified financial expert? Uh, are those uh, board members all independent? And if they're not, how are you going to rectify that? And again, if there are all these SPACs forming all of these operating empires, where are we supposed to get all of these audit committee members? They don't necessarily grow on trees, um, especially if you're looking for skilled and thoughtful people uh, who have the experience to serve on a publicly traded board, which is not the same as uh, somebody who's on a privately traded board or privately um, uh, private business. So there's a lot of those kind of questions. And then, Tom, your point, since you had mentioned antitrust, if you are a SPAC and you're acquiring multiple companies, what are you going to do with them? 
So are you going to configure them all into some gigantic conglomerate? And if you are, do you have the integration expertise for that? Um, which, you know, think about segregation of duties, think about policies and procedures for financial controls. It's hard enough to get that for one rapidly growing company, let alone if you are a highly acquisitive firm that's cobbling together a whole bunch of pre-existing companies, how are you going to integrate all of that together? And Tom, I'm going to jump the gun and raise one other issue that I, I hope you were going to ask me about, is I had said in one of my posts that I don't know that this wave of SPACs will lead to a wave of failures similar to what we had seen in the early 2000s with the accounting frauds there that led to Sarbanes-Oxley. But I do have concerns that it's going to be more like a, a bad sequel to that period that gave us Sarbanes-Oxley. It might be more flare-ups, smaller in nature, where really that was driven by Enron and WorldCom and Parmalat and Adelphia and a few other gigantic accounting frauds that happened in the early 2000s that gave us SOX in 2002. Like, how are, I don't know what we're going to see here, but probably more like a, a whole bunch of mini scandals that give you a, a bunch of black eyes, but not necessarily a, a gut shot to the capital markets. But you know, I still just I don't see how this ends well for a lot of firms. And I don't see that a lot of investors are going to be thrilled with the results they get from SPACs like about two years from now. Actually, I was going to think of that next. So uh, thanks for uh, preempting me on that point. Sure. And unfortunately, we're near the end of our time for this episode, but uh, perhaps we should bookmark or earmark this for uh, uh, 12, 18 or 24 months down the road to see where we're at. 2023, man. We can revisit this podcast and see how right we were. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. I hope you will join Matt and I each Monday at 3 p.m. Central, where we live stream Compliance Into the Weeds. And you can pitch questions to us and be part of the engagement and commentary. If you have any questions for Matt, you can reach him at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. If you have questions for me, you can reach me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. I hope you've enjoyed this episode, and I hope you will uh, join us again for an audio podcast or the live stream once again, 3 p.m. Central Time each Monday. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.